smoking is one of the greatest and cheapest enjoyments in life. And if you decide in advance not to smoke, I can only feel sorry for you. Nuts, not me. That's Sigmund Freud. Now, the most famous quote of Sigmund Freud's is that sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, except there's no actual proof he ever said it. But who am I to take it away from the man? It's Eat, Drink, Smoke. Good to be with you. I'm Tony Katz, and that right there is America's favorite amateur drinker, Fingers Malloy, and from Freud Cigar Company, freudcigars.com. Well, we're smoking the Super Ego. There's a series of Freud uh, cigars, the Super Ego, the Agape, and the Alter Ego. This is the Super Ego, which is a Dominican uh, cigar. It's Dominican binder. The filler is both Dominican and Nicaraguan. That wrapper is a Corojo seed. We had these cigars, and we've had them in our, in our humidor, fingers boy, for almost a year, which is kind of, kind of amazing that we haven't gotten to it yet. It almost feels like this was a humidor find. Right. You're just going through and you're like, oh, oh, look at that. Look at that little treat right there. But we didn't have two of the same size. So we're smoking two different Vitolas, two different sizes of a cigar. Actually, Vitola would be shape, wouldn't it? So we're smoking two different sizes of cigars. I am smoking the Toro, which is a six. Actually, take that back. I'm smoking the Robusto Extra, which is a five by a 54, which means it's five inches long. Always makes fingers when I laugh. And the ring gauge is 54, so that's the diameter of the cigar, how thick it is around. Again, with the laughter. Now, a 64 ring gauge would be a full one inch around. That's a big pup. Fingers is smoking the Magnum. That is six inches long. Always makes fingers when I laugh. And the ring gauge is a 60. Again. My God, that was so loud. That was Everybody in the lounge just turned around and was like, what? What just happened? He must be smoking a Magnum (laughs) right there. And by the way, uh, does size matter? Well, it all depends on how much time you have. That's a good answer. Um, That's a very good answer. So we're going to get a bit of a different feel from the cigar. I have a different ratio of wrapper to binder and filler than Fingers has, even though it is the same cigar made with the same stuff. He has that Corojo seed on the wrapper, Dominican and Nicaraguan in the filler, Dominican in the binder. But the size of the cigar is going to create a different flavor profile very often because that that ratio is different. Yeah. And for me, I'll be interested to see uh, what's going on on your palate. So far, it's it's got uh, a little bit of uh, a creaminess to it. There's some chocolate, but there's also like a... A little bit of hay that I'm getting. Um, not really a whole lot of spice at this point. Uh, no, no, uh, maybe a little bit of of pepper. I think um, hay is kind of interesting. I don't think I get that off off the bat. I think you're right. It started off on that sweeter note, whether that's chocolate or sometimes I'm really starting to get into this idea of what is a bready sweetness. B r a b r e a d like bread. That bready kind of sweetness is a little bit more of, of where I'm at uh, on this. But I'll tell you, oh, there's the spice right there. Right there, just hit as we've just lit this up and we're in the first third. Um, super easy draw. And the only thing that was wrong with mine is that the cap was cracked. Oh. So the cap is the end that you're cutting from. The foot is the end that you're lighting from. And so there was a little crack in it. That could affect the draw. Except it's not. The draw is nice and easy. The cigar actually feels very, very good in the hand. 
right? It feels full and complete, and it is this beautiful into a, a, a regular brown where it does a touch of oil, but you feel all the imperfections, if you will, of the leaf. It actually, there, there's nothing smooth about this cigar, but it's not off-putting at all. It's a very attractive, classic look of a smoke. I want you to grab uh, the Magnum for a second. To me, it's that a, feels a little light. Yeah, right. That's where I was going with it. It's not wiffle bat, a uh, wiffle uh, bat, ball wiffle bat, ball bat, light. wiffle ball bat. Yeah, say that five times fast. Wiffle ball bat. That's it. Yeah, but it's not. It's not that light. But it's. I just expected a little bit more heft out of this. Yeah, I would at a six by sixty. I would. That's interesting. Same cigar, same tobaccos, but his is indeed a, a little bit lighter than you would expect for the six by sixty. Now. When you're smoking a cigar, as we often suggest, grab your notebook. What did you eat today? What did you drink today? What is the weather like? It's cold and rainy right now in Indianapolis, Indiana, as we're recording. The weather changes your metabolism. It changes your palate, changes the saliva. Therefore, will have an effect on how you enjoy the cigar. Also, what did you eat today? What did you drink today? Should I even ask, Fingers? Well, it would be a really dull answer. I haven't had anything to eat yet today. Really? Yeah. I've, Are you uh, feeling well? I stepped on a scale. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and it made me decide. Uh, fingers, maybe it's a good day to put down the fork. So, Like you ever use a fork? You use that fork on that... Uh, com- uh, I, what, what do you get that from? The vending machine honey bun? Uh, yeah, actually, I just use these hands, Tony. Right. These hands. Like the animal that you are. Now... In this first third, and you want to break it out that way, first third, second third, final third, do it in your mind and then write down what you experience from this. This is very easy so far. It's a very, very simple, simple flavor profile that's happening so far, which can often happen. And we're going to see how it builds over time. I'm not saying it's bad. It's actually quite a pleasant smoke. Yeah, the the spice is starting to pick up a little bit for me. I mean, we just lit this. Uh, I'm going to be very interested to see how long it's going to take to smoke this. Are, you know, Obviously, we're, we've got two different sizes here. I'm thinking at least 90 minutes for this, for, for this Magnum. Tony, what do you think? I, I, I think you're right. I, I, I don't think you're, you're wrong about that. I think I'd be, you know, and a, a Robusto for me, um, a, as this is, a 5 by 54 this is a 60-minute smoke. Right? This is one hour. And that's a reason why you go for different sizes, how much time that you have. You want to make sure that you're not having a cigar that overwhelms your time, but you want to make sure you have the time for the cigar that you picked. If you have an hour and, you're, and you feel like you've got to rush through it, that's not the cigar to have. Don't do that to yourself. Skip, skip it all together or pick something else. Make sure you've got the time for that smoke. Now, we both are a little bit similar when it comes to OCD in our cigars. Like, I've, I've touched mine up briefly in different areas just to make sure. <laughs> because the burn wasn't, uh, and it was all user error, I, I say. It's not, not because of the cigar. It wasn't burning evenly. When you've got a little crack in the cap like that, how much does that bother you? It doesn't bother me. What will happen is if the crack is bad, you will be doing the draw, and you'll find you're bringing in that external air. You'll feel it. Yeah. In the mouth, and you'll be like, son of a... Almost like a cracked straw. Yes, and then you're like, okay, how do I adjust this? What do I do? Do I have to cut a little bit more from this? Can I fight through this? Or is the cigar ruined? I don't feel that it's ruined at all. The question, Fingers Malloy, is, is this in your humidor? I'm going to give you just the price on mine. 
Is this in your humidor? Remember, I'm doing the Robusto. Five by 54 at $18 a stick. I mean, when you start getting $18, $20, it's where I have to really start evaluating things a little bit more, at least for my budget. Uh, we just lit this. So far, I'm very happy with it. I'll just have to see how it goes as we get into the second and final third. Yeah, there is there is a, a nice, as I said, that bready sweet. There is that little bit of spice that's starting uh, to to build there. A robusto at eighteen bucks, you gotta blow me away. You gotta blow me away. Freud cigars, that's where we're at. Freudcigars.com. That's what we're smoking. Keep it here. Eat, drink, smoke. It is your cigar, bourbon, foodie extravaganza. I'm Tony Katz. That right there is America's favorite amateur drinker. Fingers Malloy, he is still reminiscing about the candied bacon. Not just that. We tried the Pappy Van Winkle bourbon pecan bar. bar. And may I have 30 seconds? You may. I don't know if I can go back, Tony, to my previous Fingers Malloy, living my best life eating Swiss cake rolls and (laughs) oatmeal pies. How do I go back, Tony? I, I'm flying first class for the first time this week. I'm eating Pappy Van Winkle bourbon-infused pecan bars. How do I go back to flying coach and eating Twinkies? I'm going to tell you right now. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> You'll do it if you have to, but only to remind you why you should enjoy the finer things. Oh, good Lord. What a world we live in. It's what just been all opened up to you. <laughs> I got nothing. Are you was, in tears? I'm almost weeping. It was it was that amazing. We're smoking from Freud Cigars, the super ego. FreudCigars.com. This is a Dominican wrapper, Corojo Seed. Binders Dominican, the, the filler, both Dominican and Nicaraguan. I am smoking what they refer to uh, as their Robusto Extra 5x54. Uh, Robusto is usually 5x50. Uh, and Fingers is smoking their Magnum 6x60. We're both still in the first third of the cigar. Where are you at, Fingers? It tastes like Pappy Van Winkle and pecans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that spice has picked up for me a, a little bit more, and the sweetness has kind of gone away. And, and all joking aside, I think it, it does have something to do with what we just consumed. Uh it has had an impact on my palate with this this cigar, but it has been very low maintenance. I'm very happy about that. Uh, it, the, the draw has been pleasant. Uh, lots of good smoke coming off of it. I have a touch more maintenance on mine. I think that's because of the cracked cap and how it's resting and some different air is getting to it. But in terms of the flavor, it's, it's a nice, nice feel. That bready sweet, uh, that spice undercurrent, it is, it is smoking well. Remember, mine has a cracked cap, and that could be from a million things, including where I had it stored, etc. cetera. Um, it's a nice, easy, solid smoke so far. I'm very happy with it, but I need to give it some more time. And absolutely, as we've discussed a million times, what you eat affects everything. You need some more water. You need to cleanse out that, that, that palate and get yourself back into a place. Luckily, you still have plenty of cigar that you're going to be able to get back to it and enjoy it. But it's time, Fingers Malloy, for News of the Week. Tony, you remember about a month ago there was a trial balloon floated out there uh, about... you know, bureaucrats potentially looking to ban gas stoves, and there was a public outcry, and it kind of kind of went away. I believe the public outcry was, "Could you just leave us alone already?" I believe that's what the outcry was. Yes, and we thought that that 
that was enough of a reaction for this to go away. Well, according to uh, Energy Wire, uh, half of gas stove models sold in the United States today won't comply with a first ever efficiency regulation on cooking appliances, according to a new analysis from the Department of Energy. We, we are in the silly here. Now, the argument was that gas stoves are unhealthy in smaller houses or actually apartments that don't have ventilation, and it leads to cases of asthma, etc. What's fascinating about this is that this has never really been a conversation. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, gas stoves are bad. You should get an induction cooktop. Well, induction is really quite incredible technology, and you requ- it requires certain kinds of pans, certain kinds of pots, and what it does is it creates a reaction with the cooktop. It heats much faster. It can heat all the way through. It, it, it you know, good conduct conductivity, condu- conduction, I should say. Um, but the problem is they're outrageously expensive. Yeah. They're not the everyday kind of thing. So what you're asking people to do is spend thousands of dollars to replace something that already works. And what about people who are in a home and they, they don't have those size issues? And then there's questions about the science, about how they came to some of this data. But it's, fa- it's fascinating that there seems to be always something. This push to electric everything, to me, is very worrisome. It's worrisome in cars. It's worrisome in this. And part of the issue is, don't we understand where the electricity comes from? <laughs> if the argument is that uh, it's green. My issue is not with green. My issue is the recognition that electricity gets created from things that aren't green. So we are, in a way, kidding ourselves seriously and dangerously when we make this push. And then, do you really want me to tell somebody, hey, you're perfectly good oven, somebody else decided that's not acceptable, so you now have to go spend thousands of dollars on what somebody else decided you need as opposed to what you need. This all goes back to to Bastiat and this idea of the seen and the unseen when it comes to economics. Somebody decides you have to buy this and it takes away your ability to, well, spend on the things you want. And how does that affect the economy? The scene is you're buying this new oven and, oh, this new gas range and, well, it's not even gas and everything's healthier and better. But what about what everything you lose out on as a consumer and being able to make your own choices, especially when they're playing it on a science that, well, doesn't really fit a vast majority of people. Yeah. And the other thing that's really disturbing to me, it would be one thing if this were a bill that was introduced by a legislator who could be held accountable by the voters uh, come election time. But these these regulations that come out from unelected bureaucrats who don't have to answer to voters who are just making these decisions that it really makes me angry that they have this kind of power it's it should because what we've what we have found and i think a lot of people saw this from covid regardless of where you were on on vaccines etc is that oh this is what people mean by the fourth branch of government we've got the legislative the executive, the judicial, as it's spelled out in the Constitution, in that order. And then there's the agencies. The agencies are this fourth branch of government that have insane power, unlimited budgets, and when they create a rule, it has the effect of law, but the person you elected didn't have a say in it. Right. That's what makes it so problematic. And 
it's it's a situation where you have these agencies have to continue to show why their budgets need to increase. And they, they're just sitting around coming up with more and more reasons to butt into the American people's lives. And that is it's it's worrisome. And again, it, it makes me quite angry. Uh, I am a gas stove guy. Now, I actually my um, stove at home is, is a dual fuel. So the the oven is electric because we find it better for baking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the top is is gas because we find it better for cooking. These are two different concepts. Baking is science and cooking is art. Yeah. That's the way that works. And I don't want to be told that I can't have. And I, to me, it's worth the fight. It's so it's about temperature control. Listen, I don't have a gas stove. But I always thought, okay, what's nice about it is you get instant heat on the stovetop. And then I'm told if it's a lot easier to have a consistent regulated temperature using gas. You, I, that's the way I feel. You you can you have better maneuverability with the level of heat that you're looking for for cooking the thing that you're that you're looking to do. And chefs may have all sorts of reasons for using it and s- same thing with soccer moms and same thing with single dads and I don't want to get in their way. I don't want to tell them how to do it. I am opposed to the idea that I should be able to tell people how to live. Are they going to go after gas grills next? I know we're cooking outside versus inside, but is this going to be a, a situation where they don't want anyone cooking on gas? They want me using charcoal? They want you in an electric grill. George Foreman, perhaps? Yes, an outdoor George Foreman grill. That may be in your future, Tony, thanks to a, a bureaucrat from the Department of Energy. The issue here is one of you making the decision for you. That is it. And when we talk about what the government has done here, they put this out there, then they backtracked, and now they're looking for a, a back door. That's no way to treat people. And you, you, you look at, well, we couldn't get it done one way, so we got it done another way. Maybe we should really be taking a look about whether or not another way is the way to do it. We make decisions. We. And it, it, should, it should remain. You know, if you ask me, do I believe in getting rid of all regulations? No, not all regulations, just many of them. Um, but I'm not getting rid of a gas a stove. It's sticking. So we get asked questions over here at Eat, Drink, Smoke. Many, many questions. Questions about cigars, questions about bourbon, questions about all types of food, questions about how to enhance your love life. There's nothing that Fingers Malloy and I cannot answer. Is that not right, Fingers Malloy? Uh, if we just answer that question alone, it would be a four-hour show. That's going to be the new podcast. The Teetering Smoke. I'm Tony Katz. That is Fingers Malloy. And John tweeted us a question. Listening to Eat, Drink, Smoke this afternoon. Thank you, John. We appreciate it. Can a cigar be partially smoked? Let it go out and then relit. What's the story on partial cigars? Has this ever happened to you, Fingers? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it may be a situation where I'm at a lounge and my afternoon got cut short unexpectedly, but I invested a lot of money in a cigar that I want to enjoy later, so I let it go out naturally, bring it home, and, and smoke it later. How, what do you do to it? Because there is a system by which this can work, not that it will. Do you have a system or are you just like, I just relight? No, I will... At the foot where it had burned, I will cut a little bit of the foot off and, and, and relight it. So, this question gets asked a lot, and it's exactly because of what you bring up, Fingers, which is about the money, the, the investment. You bought a cigar. You don't want it to go to waste. First, recognize that some cigars at that moment are already wasted. 
There is nothing to win by relighting it. You're going to have a terrible, awful experience. Don't do it. But if you want to try it, Fingers is half right. Oh. Here's how it works. You've got the cigar, and you take the, the foot end that you light, and you take your cutter, and this is where you need a fully open mm-hmm. guillotine cutter. You can't have one with a stopper or back to it. And you want to take another inch off the cigar. Okay. Right? Some people might say a half an inch. I think you need to take another inch off the cigar and cut it clean. Before you do that, put the cigar to your mouth and blow out. Ah. And repeatedly blow out. I mean, take a breath. You know, don't don't pass out. What a weird thing. Like blowing up your kids' toys. Do a whole Dizzy Gillespie thing on a trumpet. Right. Um, Ten minutes. You want to try and blow out any of the dead air mm. that's in there, the odors that are in there. Because when you're bringing that into the palate, that stinks. So you want to blow that out. Cut. Then do it again. Do it again and blow as much of you ca- as you can out of the cigar. Then light it up. So the answer is yes, it can be done. It's really a question of should it be. Now, you might argue your fingers there's a price point. If it's under 10 bucks, I don't. Mm-hmm. If it's over 10 bucks, I do. If it's over 20 bucks, I do. If it's a Churchill, I, and I've only smoked two inches of it, I do. If it's a Robusto, which is normally a five-inch cigar, I don't. It really does depend. So I guess the next question would be, what's the shelf life on a partially smoked cigar? Can you revisit that stick a couple of days later, or is it something that you need to do the same day? Ah, it's something you need to do the same day. Going back to it days later, just the thought of that makes me feel uneasy. (laughs) That's... You know, for asking that question, you should apologize. Sometimes I ask questions I already know what the answer is because we're trying to inform the public. Going back to it days later. I said a couple of days later. I'm not days saying, later. I'm not saying six weeks later you find it in your glove box. 48 you- hours? No, that, that cigar is gone. That cigar is gone. You should treat it as gone, and I'm begging you to treat it as gone. If it's six hours later, yeah, give it a shot. I did have someone ask me a question. When you're done with a cigar, do you, uh, and, and I already know the answer to this, Tony, but I'm asking you anyway. Do you put it out like you would a cigarette, or no. do, you, do you let it go out on its you own? You 100% let it go out on its own. You do not stub it out. Do not stub it out. Want me to say that again? Do not stub it out. Just put it in the ashtray, and like, okay, that was wonderful. And that's it. And let nature do the rest, and the cigar will go out. Stubbing it out doesn't do anything. Yeah. It, 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 you're, you're not going to extinguish it that way. You would need to cover it with sand, or you would need to douse it with water in order to do that. It's just, it's just going to keep burning, and now you've just got this, this mess. And it's not like a, a cigar is going to sit there. When, when you have half of the final third left and you're putting it in the ashtray, it's not like it's going to sit there and burn for an hour and a half. If it does, that's an extremely, extremely well-designed cigar. Now, it's, it's not going to last that long. When you're down to that, to that nub, if you will. Nub, by the way, makes some glorious cigars. Yes. They're, they're small, but they're, they're, they fit a purpose. Uh, yeah, don't do it. Absolutely, positively, don't uh, do that. So now that we've answered the question, and we're happy to have answered the question, uh, uh, give us your questions over there at eatdrinksmokeshow.com. 
would absolutely love them. EatDrinkSmokeShow.com. Give us your questions. We want to answer those questions for you. Fingers Malloy, you found this story. Uh-huh. And as you know, when it comes to airline travel, I don't like anybody who acts the fool. Do not be an ignorant person on a plane. Don't be a jerk. Don't put your feet up. Don't act out. The plane goes up. The plane goes down. Eat your peanuts. Be quiet. <laughs> yeah. And yes, suit up, Fingers Malloy. You've been with me. You've flown with me in, uh, in summers in, in Florida. Yes. Do I wear a suit on a plane? Wears a suit. Every time he gets on a plane, I wear a tank top and Zubaz pants. A man, according to a story from the New York Post, ate a rack of ribs next to me on a plane. This is the headline. A man ate a rack of ribs next to me on a plane. Wait, it gets worse. So this woman, you know, people often bring food with them on a plane, which I don't necessarily have an issue with because they don't serve food and what have you. She's from Glasgow. That's Scotland's fingers. Mm, thank you. Um, she has a person next to her who opens up a box and there is a full rack of sauced pork ribs and fries and I think there's a piece of cake in there and she took a picture of it she took a picture of what this dude is eating and the question before us is are you allowed to eat a full rack of ribs on a plane no wait hold on was that too quick listen uh, can you eat a tuna sandwich on a plane no no and we we to do this justice understand ladies and gentlemen uh, the box is the size of a pizza box <laughs> that's in his lap. It's huge. It's huge. Uh, no, you can't. Can, can you imagine? These, these And these aren't dry rub ribs. These are fully sauced ribs. Can you imagine sitting next to someone who's eating a full rack of ribs and they're licking their fingers, licking the sauce off the fingers, or they've got... Uh, you know, eight or ten napkins that they're trying to wipe things off. And you know everything that this person is going to touch is going to be sticky and gross. And that person, after the plane lands, should be given their notification that they're not welcome on the airline anymore. You're not welcome on the airline anymore. And that notification should not be given by the airline. It should be given by everybody, everybody else on the plane who takes this guy to task. <laughs> Yeah. You're just wrong. We've lost all sense of decency and decorum. I, I don't have a problem with people bringing food on a plane. Like you said, I think it needs to be a cold sandwich. It, it needs to be something that doesn't stink up the entire cabin and something. So you that can't it, bring a burger on a plane either. I don't think you should. Do you? No. It should be something like, okay, I, I grabbed a deli sandwich and it's not, nobody can smell it. Absolutely fine. Because there are times, if you're on a four-hour flight or you've got a quick connection somewhere else, you may be traveling for six hours, and peanuts isn't going to be enough. It's not going to be enough, and, and you might not want to spend what the airline is charging. I get it. This, I am not disagreeing. I believe in eating on a plane. Keeps people satiated. Keeps them from acting the fool. Mm -hmm. I'm all in. Ribs, no. Yeah. Brisket, wait a second. <laughs> I was just about to say, by the way, we're flying out Wednesday. I'm bringing a full brisket with me. Uh, if you do. <laughs> see, but a full brisket you can share with people. Right. And therefore, it's okay. This is the craziest. <laughs> this is just, what is it like to be that person, to think this is normal, to be so wrapped up in your life that you have no regard for anyone else or anything else? Because I asked the question this way, what happens when the ribs fall? 
onto me. There's a riot at that moment, right? Yes. And this guy will deserve everything he gets. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Our new book, Let's Go Bourbon, the bourbon reader you've always needed, is now available on Amazon.com and our website, EatDrinkSmokeShow.com. Pick up a copy today. There are famous names in bourbon, but Jimmy Rutledge may stand apart from all the other names. Now, I guess that's up to interpretation. What is it that you like in your bourbon? But the guy who brought you Four Roses and was the master distiller for Four Roses for years, who came out of retirement, if you will, to bring cream of Kentucky... It's a special, special guy. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. I'm Tony Katz, and that right there is America's favorite amateur drinker, Fingers Malloy. And this is the Cream of Kentucky Bottled in Bond Rye. Now, it's interesting we did the Bottled in Bond, the Ben Holiday, just last week. We're doing another Bottled in Bond, which refers to the same distilling season. The same distillery has to be 100 proof and aged at a minimum of four years. These are the government rules. But this is rye, not bourbon. The difference being, of course, bourbon is at least 51% corn. Rye is 51% rye or more. And this is 100% rye, bottled and bond, which means, fingers malloy, by law, it's 100 proof. 50% alcohol by volume. Anything 100 or over gets applause from fingers malloy here. Cream of Kentucky does some nice work. Jimmy Rutledge does some nice work. I love rye. And that look in the glass, we have it in the Glen Cairn glass, which is that oddly shaped glass, kind of bows out and then kind of flutes back in so you can really concentrate the nose. That almost looks chocolatey. Yeah, it does. But my question to you is, uh, have we ever done a rye with a mash bill? It's 100% rye? No. No, I don't believe... In, in the four years we've been doing the podcast, not and, and the radio show has now been, I think, three years, um, we have not done a, I, I, that, I, that I can remember a 100% rye. That would stand out, I would think. We, that would be something that we would remember. But yeah. holy cow, that nose. Mmm. Oh, that is luscious, kid. That is deep. That is rich. That is... That, that sweetness, there's a little bit of cereal going on. You're not, re- not really getting an oak. Not Maybe there's a touch of, of, of fruit on the side. Maybe, yeah, I think there's a touch of fruit on yeah, the I side, some dark fruit. And I was going to say a little bit of citrus as well. Oh, that is. And not, I mean, there's no ethanol. There's no you know, big alcohol feel on it. That is just luscious, wonderful nose right there, fingers. Oh, it, it is. And... It's it it's not overpowering, uh, or or maybe it is. Tony, maybe he got a little bit too much on the nose. There. Oh no 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 no. I'm good. Uh, but uh, oh, that is that is just so nice, Tony. That is nice and clean. Now fingers Malloy, we do it neat, and then we decide whether we bring a little bit of water, bring it to a couple ice chips or a cube. Fingers Malloy, you ready for this? Tony, I've been ready for this all day. It is the cream of Kentucky. Out of Middletown, Kentucky, four years aged at the minimum, uh, 100% rye, bottled in bonds, so it's 100 proof. Fingers Malloy, where are you 
on the cream of Kentucky bottle. Oh, bottle wow. Dry. That is nice. Uh, there's a, a creaminess there. Uh, it's a dark fruit. Uh, I don't... It, it's... There's not a lot of oak to it. I mean, a slight bit of sting on the tongue. No burn going down. Uh, boy, there's a... It's not like a rye that I've had in the past. It, it's a, th- That dark fruit for me is, is really... So it's not playing to any level of high spice, like traditional rye spice. I don't like. think so. I'll be interested right. to see what you think. I'm going in, Fingers. He's going Cream in, ladies and gentlemen. Bottled and bond rye. Here I go. He's going in. He's doing the Louisville Lip, the Memphis Munch, the Kentucky Chew, and the Saginaw Swish. Oh, very nice. Saginaw Awesome. Oh, that's stunning. Holy cow. Holy. Holy cow. And by the way, I'm getting a little bit of rye spice about a minute later. That is like, like it's a rye bread kind of flavor. There is a little bit of fruit to it. Not a big oak note at all. No. Oh, if you make me move that to a cube, I'm going to hate you. (laughs) Oh, my. There is absolutely no heat in the chest. Maybe the slightest warmth in the chest. Barely a sting on the tongue that is smooth you know what i said about the nose being luscious that's what it is the mouthfeel on this is a creaminess yeah whole holy cow and that creaminess really lingers on the palate as well uh and a building heat there's a building heat on the tongue that's happening that's quite enjoyable you're more of a rye guy how would you compare this to other ryes that you very very different but this is where i like to play Mm-hmm. I don't like the overspice on, on, on a rye. Um, that's just, that is fulfilling, is what that is there. The cream of Kentucky bottled in bond rye. I, that I, just plays super nice. I know that it's our job to either put it on the cube or, or put a couple of drops of cool water in it. And I. Man, I, I really don't want to do that. I, I do it for Eat, Drink, Smoke Nation, but... Because you're is, a great American. That, that is true. This is so good neat. It really yeah. is. And I don't know if the weather's playing into it, too, for me. You know, it's cold and rainy outside, and it's 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 hitting all the right notes with that as well. Because uh, weather has an impact on on your experience. It, it the, the, the finish stays... And it does have a, a heat and a spice that builds on the tongue, but it has stopped building... It's just there. That is a super, super delicious rye. Um, if you're looking for something that's a little more oaky, it, th- th- this this is not it. This is just, oh, that's just a good flavor. Now, the question, Fingers Malloy, is, is this in your liquor cabinet? And I've seen a couple different prices. Is this in your liquor cabinet? At $80 a bottle. I'm leaning yes. That's more than I like to spend, but this is really good. And it's as someone who's more of a, a bourbon drinker than a rye drinker, this is an example of a rye where I would be like, okay, it's 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 different. It's something that is enjoyable to me, and I think it's something that 
most of the table would like. So this is, to, to me, a, a true sip. This is a true sipping kind of drink, a sipping rye. So therefore, $80 doesn't throw me at all. Mm. Absolutely in the liquor cabinet. And it's going to last because I think a glass will really take you through. Don't take your time with it. Really let yourself engage with it. This seems to me to be a colder weather rye than, than, a, than a warm weather rye. But man, you're not going to... That's that is not going to go wrong. No, That's you're, solid. You're not lying. Like I said earlier, it's cold and, and rainy in here in Indianapolis, and this is hitting me in a way that uh, I'm very happy. It just feels like it's 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 a one-two punch with the weather. That's very enjoyable. Cream of Kentucky, Jimmy Rutledge. Well done. A hundred percent rye, bottled in bond, so it's one hundred proof. Yeah, this is in the cabinet, guys. That's all there is to it. You're putting it in, and then you're inviting me over. The Jetsons have finally come to life. We have been promised these flying cars for generations. Television show after television show in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, flying cars. Aliens would come down and hang out with us. The Flintstones proved this. <laughs> but finally, it is happening in South Korea. The telecommunications giant, SK Telecom, South Korea, SK, ah. you can do the math yourself. They partnered up with an aviation firm in the U.S., Joby, J-O-B-Y, Aviation, to develop air taxis for the South Korean market. They, uh, The people over there, Joby, develop uh, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, and the South Korean government wants to do this. They want to commercialize air taxis by 2025. It is the world of tomorrow today, Fingers Boy. That sounds like a horrible idea. <laughs> Why? Okay, the training that's involved in flying one of these, say if this is like a, uh, a flying Uber service, uh, I have to trust that the person that is flying this vehicle will be fully trained. Is you trust fully the person driving your car. Okay, it's something about being, uh, you know, 300 feet in the air. I don't know how high these things are going to fly. Uh, versus being on the ground where I can hop out at a stop sign at any time if I feel like I'm in danger. This in the, is awful. In the days of the horse and buggy, mm. how many people said, cars, those things are crazy. I'm not getting into one of those things. So you're all in on the flying taxi. Oh, no, this is nuts. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? We've been waiting on this one for so long. For so long, Fingers Malloy, I'm ready. Sometimes things aren't worth the wait. I'm just saying. Some things are just sometimes best for cartoons and not real life. And I think this is one of them. I just see this being a total disaster. And when do we get to the point where they try to make the leap from there'll be a pilot on one of these things to, oh, it just flies itself. You got an app, and you just put the address in the app, and the thing will pick you up and take you where you need to go, and there won't be a pilot, and you'll sit back there uh, with a, a parachute, and good luck, brother. Yeah. That I'm not okay with. The The whole autonomous thing, I admit, freaks me out to no end. I'm not, I'm not there. And I get that uh, everybody wants it. Not everybody, but people want it, and they're pushing for it. And then they want to do it with, with trucks, like, you know, the big rigs. I'm like, oh, man, that freaks me out, too. I'm not. Okay. I don't know why this freaks me out less. What if we expand this out to it not just being 
a taxi service, but these are vehicles that are uh, available for private ownership, and anybody can just buy one of these and fly them around. I mean, because that's the next step, right? Are they going to, you know, and I know we're, we're, you know, wildly speculating here, but you would think the next step would be, okay, we're going to open up the, the regulation to not just taxi services, but anyone can go out and get their flying car license and then be able to hop into one of these things. You mean like helicopters? Yes. Except this is going to be, I'm assuming if, if this plays out, these will be a more, uh, a more affordable option than a, than a helicopter, I would think. No, I think it's the same kind of mathematics. Because I brought up the Jetsons. I, w- is there some secret propulsion system? All of a sudden, it's Hunt for Red October, you know, and now we can't hear it go by. Yes, it was. And Jonesy's like, I heard singing. It was a, a cartoonist ink. That's what propelled the Jetsons vehicle. Not whatever. And that's the other thing, too. Is this going to, uh, what's the fuel for this? Is it going to be gas? Is it going to be oh, what's diesel? The fuel? What's the fuel for this? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. This sounds, in a, in, a, in, a, in a city. You're with a tall, negative Nelly. <laughs> tall buildings. And, oh, I'm going to fly right by the demilitarized zone. I didn't zone. say I was getting in one. <laughs> I do, you know what? Now you got yourself a problem. Things flying by the DMZ. Good Lord. You can ruin anything. The world of tomorrow today. You can ruin absolutely anything. Fingers, speaking of people ruining things, Mm -hmm. here are the five things you're doing as a couple that make other people feel uncomfortable. Oh, these are couples that are out in public or with friends, and they're behaving in a way that makes their friends feel uncomfortable. Right. Okay. And one of them is... Flirting with someone other than your partner. I think I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I think it depends on the person because that's so subjective, right? I, I mean, sometimes someone is just being friendly and it's it's interpreted as flirting. I mean, guys a lot of times think everyone's flirting with them. <laughs> so I never think anyone's flirting with me. I wouldn't know. I would have absolutely no clue if mm. someone was flirting. Stop batting your eyes. I have absolutely no clue. Happy birthday, Mr. President. Well, now I know. I'll be, I'll be on the lookout and the listen out for that. Um, but I, I don't know if that's the weirdest thing. I think that depends on the couple. Yeah. That would not make me uncomfortable. I want to go through the rest of the list. Sure. Talking excessively about your life together. I guess it depends on what the conversation is, isn't it? What's wrong with that? Unless you're dominating the conversation and 95% of the conversation among the couples is just about you and your life, and you're not letting anybody else speak, and you're not interested in a conversation. That's uncomfortable. That's but a monologue. part of a conversation, it's fine. Fighting in public. Okay. That's certainly a true one, and I see that way too often. But it's number four on the list. That should be number one on the list, and it's very real. Making jokes at each other's expense. Yeah. If I'm out with a couple and they actually enjoy needling each other, that's not a couple I want to spend time with at all. There will be no other uh, meetups or dinners or anything else. That's weird stuff. People who, like, enjoy belittling the other person, I don't get that at all. Count me out. I don't understand how you think that that would make your company feel comfortable. How does that make you feel comfortable? Right. Isn't that like a weird relationship thing, though? 
You've seen people who do oh, that. Oh, absolutely. I've seen people who do it. And I think to myself, you shouldn't be at a restaurant with people. You should be in couples counseling. Right? Applebee's is not the place for you. <laughs> Potato skins will not save this relationship. That one. That's the one that bothers me more than anything. And, and I've now gotten to a stage where if I see it once, I'll be like, okay. If I see it twice, I'm like, oh, we're, we're done. We have to go. Um, uh, I'm pregnant. And then, and then I walk out at the door. My water broke. I got to go. Uh, well, there, there's one more. Uh, the last one on the list bothers me, and then there's one more that should be on the list. Okay, so what's Pu- the one that bothers you? Uh, public displays of affection. Uh, nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, it, it, once in a while, it's okay. But if, if they're all over each other the entire time you're hanging out, then it's like, why are we oh, all together? Oh, okay, because, right. Okay, that that I'm fine with. But in general, uh, public PDAs, as the kids call them, on the Snapchat, fine by No, me. that's, you know, holding hands or whatever, giving a, a peck on the cheek. If you leave for a few minutes, that's fine. But, you know, being all over each other, sitting on the couch, that's weird. The other thing that bothers me, uh, pet names. Pet names. Oh, yeah. Instead of saying, oh, hey, oh Jane, it's, I'm so glad we got to a night out. It's, oh, Schmoopy. Yeah, the whole Seinfeld thing, Schmoopy. And uh, uh, and they're calling each other this at the table in, while you're there. In front of other people. Yeah. Don't care for it. Not a fan. Do, do you refer to your wife as mother? Not a fan of that either. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess that could be weird. Now it depends on the pet name. Summer travel season is right around the corner. It's going to be here in the blink of an eye. And we've already established earlier in the program that you shouldn't take a rack of ribs with you on an airplane and consume it around a bunch of other people, especially next to Tony. Uh, But there are things that you shouldn't do that flight attendants say really peeves them off. We're going to go over it right now and eat, drink, smoke. I'm Fingers Malloy. He is Tony Katz. Find everything Eat, Drink, Smoke on our website eatdrinksmokeshow.com Now, Reader's Digest has a list, Tony. And we love lists over here. Reader's Digest? Reader's Digest. Is it 1986? All I know is it says it's a trusted friend in a complicated world. Huh. Isn't that nice? Well, in that case, yes. 13 polite habits flight attendants actually dislike. So you think you're doing a solid for the folks that are staffing the plane when actually uh, they don't want you to do these things. Huh? First one, enforcing the rules for other passengers. Well, yeah, don't do that. Like what? Like, hey, you shouldn't be sitting there. You should put your window shade up. Like, just sit there and be quiet. You know, it's amazing. I see this a lot on posts on social media where people really sometimes get in heated arguments with other passengers about the the, sh- the window shade. Somebody will flip it up. The, the person, you know, how sometimes there will be a window shade in between the rows of seats right. where you kind of share it. person in front will put it down. The person in back will flip it up. And it'll be like the Hatfields and McCoys on, on the airplane. How would the person in front of it be bothered by it? If you're trying to sleep, I guess if you're trying to sleep and you're in the window seat and you're leaning to your left and you've got sunlight right by your ear and it's it's going, you know, uh, in your oh, field like of vision, heat? maybe the heat or just the light and you're trying to sleep and you'd like huh. that pulled down. I just can't imagine getting that angry about it to where you would get into a confrontation. Oh, I thought you meant like the person who's like in the aisle seat. If you're in the aisle, you have no say over the window shade. If, it, if the sun's blowing on you, you could say, hey, excuse me. The sun is just right there. Can we lower it until we the plane moves and then 
feel free to open it back up is what I would do. Yeah. But I've never I've never come across that. Uh, another pet peeve is organizing the overhead bins. And I don't understand that. It's one thing if, if say, someone comes into the plane and they throw their big carry-on in the overhead bin and you just have a backpack, what's the problem with moving that in, a, in an area where you can get your backpack in? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I guess I could see where they're trying to avoid a confrontation. I mean, would you be upset if someone just started messing with your bag in the overhead bin? If they took my bag out, I'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, because how would I, do I trust that they'll put my bag back in a way that is respectful? Also, it's a question of what's in the bag, and they don't know that. So there's a difference between moving things over to put yours in versus taking somebody's bag out because that that's a bridge too far. Yeah, you're not kidding. We came back last year from the Premium Cigar Association trade show, and I had a duffel bag that had 100 cigars in it. I don't want anyone touching that bag. I had to put it in the overhead bin. I don't want someone just, you know, tossing it around and throwing their suitcase in there and moving it around in a way that could damage those cigars. Right. So, yeah, that's tough. And here's one that should be a no-brainer, Tony. You don't tug on uh, their sleeve Superman's to get their... Cape. <laughs> well, that too. Uh, have you flown very many planes uh, where Superman was the flight attendant? Yes. It's very strange. Tugging their sleeve to get their attention. No. I mean, that to me, that's like snapping your fingers at wait staff. Excuse me. More coffee. That that seems incredibly rude. Yes. Um, is it wrong to tap someone just because they can't hear you? I don't know. I mean, do you, do you want 30 people over the course of a day, 30 complete strangers tapping you on your shoulder? Why is it only 30? Okay, 45, 52. <laughs> um, all right, you know what? It's it, Nobody asked you to touch them, so yeah, that's not right. Asking them to refill your reusable water bottle. Oh, that's weird. Ask for water and do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't want them doing that either. Because that's very Fight Club. You don't know what it's getting refilled with. Don't eat the soup. <laughs> exactly. It, it, what... What kills me about this, uh, the fine folks at Reader's Digest, it says 13 polite habits. And then you go down on the list, and one of them is uh, you deciding that you're going to serve yourself from the drink cart. How is that polite? I'm just going to raid the drink cart. It, Who has ever done that? If it's on you this list. You reach in and you grab a Coke? Yeah, on your own, like you're at the mini bar at your hotel room. That seems very old school because now you pay for every drink. Well, I guess it depends on the airline. That's crazy. I'll tell you what's even crazier. Handing them a dirty diaper to throw away. No, absolutely not. You're okay with that? You think it's okay? I'm sorry. I'm just stunned. I'm looking for the situation fingers where you're handing somebody your diaper. <laughs> and you, and you, you never traveled with an infant? That it... That I thought I would hand the diaper to... What are you, insane? <laughs> what? That's... Well, my, that's crazy. Well, my question is... You could ask for a garbage bag to throw this out. Absolutely, but my, my question is... Where are you changing the diaper? The baby. <laughs> Thank you. 
I would hope you're doing it in the restroom and you're not, you know, you put pulling the, the tray down and, and changing the baby right well, there. Well, you would assume that it's family next to you and not anybody else. So there's an extent to which I can see it. The diaper must be changed. But the bathroom is the place, but there's not enough room in the bathroom. I'm much more okay with someone taking a slab of ribs <laughs> on a plane and eating it next to me than someone changing their infant next to me and uh, sharing with the cabin the odor of the diaper. And I'm telling you that if you're eating a slab of ribs on a plane, you're changing your diaper too. <laughs> That's happening. Stowing your carry-on too carefully. I don't know what that means. They appreciate passengers who are prepared and careful when boarding the aircraft, including stowing their bags properly, but you can go overboard with it, trying to find the right spot and position. Again, if I got 100 cigars in my duffel bag, I'm going to be careful with it. Well, I think that's a question of, do you think that your stuff is more important than anybody else's stuff? And the answer is no. No, it's not. And in it goes. And if it's that valuable, hold it on your lap. So that's the end of the ball game. It is the idea that people walk into these scenarios thinking, I'm special, I'm important, and you will cater to me. If you want to be catered to on an airplane, my advice to you, get a private plane. Well, you're, you're feeding into the next one on the list, calling them over to chat. To chat? Yeah. How's your day? Are you single? That kind of thing. They're, they're not there to chat with you. They're there to make sure that you have a comfortable flying experience. When I sit down, I'm so in my own world. I'm barely asking for anything. People call the flight attendant over to chat. Yeah. As it, you won't believe the day I had. And unloading? Apparently it's a thing. Along with throwing away other people's trash. That they didn't ask you to, like, yeah, hand over? Yeah, they just over? grab it and you, maybe they're sleeping. And they see a, a cup that's empty, and they just pick it up and, and throw it away. All right, people are weird. <laughs> you know what? I need to start flying private. That's it. I need a private plane. You know what I need? I need a friend with a private plane who wants Tony Katz and Eat, Drink, Smoke Nation to fly in style. When are we getting the Eat, Drink, Smoke uh, private jet? When does that happen? That's a good question. That's a good question. Uh, a couple more advertisers. A couple more advertisers, <laughs> and we're good to go. The Cream of Kentucky Bottled and Bond Rye. This is a fantastic drink. Yeah. This is terrific. And $80 a bottle. Don't get me wrong. It costs a little more, but it's happening. And uh, that Freud cigar, the Super Ego. You know what? I'm going to give it another go. Mm -hmm. uh, one that isn't cracked. Uh, I thought it was a nice flavor overall. I thought it smoked well uh, for the most part. I got to give it another, another run because I'm not sure $18 this is not about the cigar. It's about I got to have a full experience with it. Find everything. EatDrinkSmokeShow.com. EatDrinkSmokeShow.com. This is Eat, Drink, Smoke. Follow Eat, Drink, Smoke on social media. On Twitter, at Go Eat, Drink, Smoke. On Facebook, Facebook.com slash Eat, Drink, Smoke. And Instagram, at Eat, Drink, Smoke Podcast.